Hello, this is your host, Paul Harvey at Life, Passion and Business. I realise I put this at the end of the programme most of the time. And I also realise I don't often listen to the end of podcasts. So I thought about it, i tell you here before we get started. So the first thing is this podcast is not supported in any way. We have no sponsorship. So if you would like to support us, do check out the Buy Me A Coffee link on this podcast app. And you also find it at the website. Now, also, if you are interested in the five questions and would like to answer them yourself, do check out the resources tab at the website because the five questions is available as a workbook and an ebook. And if you want to know why that's important, check out the end of the podcast or go and check out the resources tab at the website. That's enough for me. Let's get on with the program. My name is Paul Harvey, and you are listening to Life, Passion and Business, a podcast born out of my desire to find greater meaning in life at the time when I thought there was none. Since that day, I have spoken to hundreds of people, and what I have discovered is that our story is everything, because what we do, feel or experience is based on the stories that we tell ourselves. It's time to explore what it means to live a good life. How do we make this experience better? And more importantly, how do we lead the world to a better place? And I get a text early in the morning from the oldest associate. And um, he said, we all need to be there. All the attorneys need to be there before the staff arrive, which is never a good thing. Um, especially when it comes at two o'clock in the morning, there's obviously something going on. Oh no, that's, that's a sleepless night, isn't it? I was the newest. I was the youngest. I was the only female. I just, I, and I've always been self-critical. So I thought I did something wrong. Like that had to be addressed. Just so I get there and it couldn't have been further from the truth. What actually had uh, occurred. My partner had committed suicide. Our show is about addiction, not to drugs, but addiction to work and maintaining the status quo. There are times when hard work is required, but society and corporate culture have created the hustle and grind, a badge to be worn with honour. My guest on the show is Catherine Burmeister, a recovering attorney. Her desire to work in law started in middle school. Catherine was inspired by the books Letter from a Birmingham Jail by Martin Luther King and To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee influential books that explore the law and the legal system. They planted the seed and set Catherine on her life path of becoming an attorney. During high school, she found work in various law firms to experience the different types of practice before going off to study at law school. After passing the bar exam, she got her license and went on to practice in her dream job at a personal injury law firm, working for people looking for compensation. It was a well-established firm. The managing partner had over 30 years of experience. He employed Catherine and a small team of attorneys and paralegals. For over a year, it was the dream job she had always hoped for. Until 2am one morning when that text arrived and it changed everything. The senior partner could no longer hide his deception and he had taken his own life. He'd been stealing the client's money for years and the hole had become too big to cover and he chose to leave rather than face prison. Catherine, a fellow partner and a paralegal, decided to continue the business and find compensation for the clients that her senior partner had let down so badly. That was the start of her addiction to the status quo. She and her team took on over 70 cases and it became a mission and they worked every hour they could. 
Living on adrenaline, she was the emotional support to her clients and to the team. It became an addiction with a price because Catherine spent every moment thinking about this situation and it was becoming too much. During high school and again in law school, Catherine experienced anxiety and depression. The exhaustion, the overwork brought these feelings back to the surface and now she was considering her own suicide. It had to stop. Our conversation is about her journey to recovery. It's about the status quo, the expectation from corporate culture and society that drives people into long hours and building of unhealthy lives. It is a recognition that there must be balance between intense work and life, lest it become an addiction or worse. It requires boundaries to be set and maintained. Catherine has written a book about her experience, overcoming the addiction to the status quo. She is passionate about mental health, self-improvement, emotional intelligence, and she's a regular speaker about self-care, business and law. She's also the happiness lawyer, supporting others in the legal profession to find their work-life balance. So let's join the conversation with Catherine Burmeister. This is life, passion and business. There's always a story. There's always a journey. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you for having me, Paul. That's okay. How did it all begin for you? Where where did it all start? Uh, Do you want the short version or the long version? No, we want the long version. We want the the detailed version with all the gritty bits. That's fair. That's fair. So long ago, I say long ago, uh, probably middle school. So 14, 15 years old, I decided that I wanted to be a personal injury attorney. And um Actually, hang, on a, hang on a minute. How does a 14-year-old want to be a personal injury attorney? That's, that's kind well, of, that sounds a bit adult, really, to do that like that. Okay, so maybe not personal injury, but I want to be an attorney. And then okay. I eventually ended up with personal injury. But I read a um, letter from a Birmingham jail and Kill a Mockingbird, which are very popular during that time. So Martin Luther King's idea of just and unjust laws really spoke to me, along with the idea of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and using the legal system to advocate for others. So that really hit me. Um, nobody in my family was a lawyer. And so I set myself on that trajectory. I decided, okay, if I want to be a lawyer, where do I have to start to get to that point? So I started my first legal job in high school, uh, my last year before I went to college. And from there exposed myself to different, uh, types of practices, different size law firms, and eventually went off to law school. And I, uh, actually had a hard time passing the bar exam, which is the, you know, test to get mm. licensed to practice <clears throat> law missed by one point the first time, missed by two points the second time. Um, turns out I've, uh, I have test anxiety, but I've dealt with anxiety and depression since probably high school. And um, it's been managed, but it doesn't mean it goes away, right? No. So that's something that I've had to work on um, over the years ongoing. So luckily I passed finally the bar exam and got licensed. And then I got my dream job. So in my last year of law school, I worked at a personal injury law firm. And that's where, you know, you're helping people that have been injured because of somebody else's negligence. So <clears throat> got my dream job on the plaintiff side of things, representing the individuals, not the companies, uh, the insurance companies. And it was an environment where the partner had been working for 30 years. He taught us the right way to do things. We had two, um, two other associates close to my age. So we just really good group. See, see a, that kind of law practice is a really bad name in this country. Oh, it has a bad one to hear too. We're, we're I mean, I mean, yeah, we're constantly teachers. getting phone calls from people like, yeah, about your injury and your accident. Yeah, see, we're not actually not allowed to do that. So that's soliciting. Uh, we're actually not allowed to do that in the States, but it doesn't stop people from trying to skirt the rules. So yes, we're called ambulance <laughs> chasers. We're not um, high on the list of uh, people 
that people like, right? Everybody doesn't like the lawyer until they need them. And then it's a, it's a different situation. Yeah. A bit like police, <laughs> a bit like police officers, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, so I was there for about a year and a half and I get a text early in the morning from the oldest associate. I mean, I say oldest, he's like mid thirties. And, um, he said, we all need to be there. All the attorneys need to be there before the staff arrive, which is never a good thing. Um, especially when it comes at two o'clock in the morning, there's obviously something going on. Oh, no, that's, that's a sleepless night, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And in my mind, I don't, I, I was the newest, I was the youngest, I was the only female. I just, I, and I've always been self-critical. So I thought I did something wrong. Like that had to be addressed. Just literally no evidence to support that. But that's what I thought in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I get there and it couldn't have been further from the truth. What actually had, uh, occurred. My partner had committed suicide. He had been stealing from clients for eight years. Ouch. Yeah. And of course, now he was going to be discovered, I guess. That's what we we concluded. He had letters. He wrote letters to us, to the local bar association that governs lawyers, to his family. He had two daughters that had uh, a new baby, other grandbabies. Um, yeah, he basically said if it was between this and prison, this is what I'm doing. And I think it was, it, it was, it was a Ponzi scheme. And basically it was coming to a head where he wasn't going to have enough money to keep it going. So needless to say, that was traumatic for all of us on so many levels. Um, what happens was- to a business like this? Because I mean, the business was the business based on a house of cards? Uh, yeah. It hadn't been. I mean, and there's legitimate cases. Like there were all legitimate cases, like people actually injured. So mm. what happened was as people got money in, it would go into what we call an IOLTO. So it's an mm. escrow account where we mm. hold the money. Mm. You're not supposed to move the money out. Until no, the escrow is not your done. account, is it? Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right, right. So it's not our money. And so what he would do is he would basically move it out and just as fast as he could get the money put in from another case, would put money in. And he would stave off the clients by saying, oh, we've got to negotiate liens on your case, which is a legitimate thing to do. But again, don't take the money out first. Right. So that's what he did for eight years. And he was overpaying us. Um, His overhead was outrageously high, but he didn't spend that much on himself. Like it was really bizarre. It's not like, oh, he was, you know, buying, I don't know, bottles of cognac. Like, no, he didn't do any of that. So it was really um, difficult to reconcile the person who taught us the right way and how to practice law with obviously somebody who stole from clients. Um, It was very traumatic for all of us. Mm -hmm. And what he did right before he did this, he brought the senior associate on as partner. So it started a new firm basically for a month. So after he did this, after he took his life, we went to the bar association and said, what do we do? And they said, well, technically it's not your, your problem. <laughs> and we all go, okay, but we're not going to just not tell the clients. They said, well, they're not your clients. They're the old, old firm's clients. And that didn't sit with any of us. We just couldn't not do anything. So we reached out to every client and uh, let them know. We had said, we don't know how much. We don't know how little he took from you because we didn't have access to any of the bank accounts. Um, yeah, we had no idea, but we went and told people and tried to help them get compensation where we could. But it was there was no compensation to be had. He didn't have any personal assets. He had maybe $4,000 to his name. The operating account for the firm had less than $6,000, I think. 
But you had no salaries either, did you? I mean, you, you basically were all working for free at this point. <clears throat> no, no, no. We got paid. We got paid up until like literally that day we had gotten paid. Mm, but going forward, you weren't going to oh, get going paid. Oh, going forward, no, no. Nobody had anything. No, no. absolutely not. Wow. So he had um, malpractice insurance. We're not required to have it, shockingly, in Georgia. Um, but we had malpractice insurance for situations like this. But the problem was he unknowingly lied every time he renewed the policy. So they weren't going to cover it. They weren't going to put any money out. Um, he had two life insurance policies. And we talked to the daughters and we talked to the state bar and said, what if we take this money? Because it was about, I think, almost $2 million and put it towards these clients that, to be compensated. And the bar said, we don't care as long as they get compensated and you know, we don't care where it comes from. So we made that agreement with the daughters and they were on board. They just didn't want his name to get drugs through the mud if we could avoid it. Mm. So to compensate the clients, we agreed to do that. And then the money hit their bank accounts and they backed out. Mm. I'm sure. So that money, was, has, uh, money has a tendency to do that sort of thing. It does. And it was very much, a, a, you know, we shouldn't be penalized for the sins of our father type uh, mm. mentality about it. Um, but what ultimately happened was myself, the now new partner and one paralegal ended up continuing the business to the best that we could for about a year. Mm. And it required me working all 70 some out of our cases by myself basically. The partner had checked out mentally and physically. How old were you at the time? <laughs> Gosh, this was 2017. So I was, however many years ago that was, but four, yeah. almost four years ago. Yeah, yeah. So I was 31. Okay. A lot of pressure to carry on your shoulders. Right. Right. And I was operating on adrenaline and yeah. I was trying to be the emotional, you know, sounding board for my paralegal and for my partner when he was there and involved to the extent that he was. <laughs> And we did this for about a year. And then finally, I, uh, I hit what I say is my rock bottom of my addiction to the status quo. And that manifested in the form of me having suicidal ideations. So every waking minute was spent thinking about this situation. Um, there was just no peace and reprieve from it. So once I recognized what those thoughts were, I came home, called my husband, and it was almost as if something overnight just changed for me. It's one thing to know all those boundaries we're supposed to set in life and, you know, we shouldn't let certain things happen and we should do certain things, but we just don't feel super confident in, in doing that or making that actually happen. And so almost overnight, it was as if a switch had been flipped and everything became crystal clear. I felt extremely confident in, in doing what I needed to do to take care of myself and move forward and be uh, open to new opportunities. So did you just move? You just left? Move on. I, I did. I ended up um, starting my own law firm, which oh. <laughs> I never wanted my own law business, never won my own law firm. But the I just couldn't go work for somebody. Turns out I had a little bit of trust issues at that point. And I wonder why that is then. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, go figure. <laughs> so, go figure. So I just couldn't find myself going to work for somebody again. And yeah, yeah, all yeah. those cases I'd worked, I technically could have taken all those cases with me. I didn't have the bandwidth. So I just took half. So I took half, started my own law firm and, uh, and started from there. And then it's just evolved into recently publishing a book this year mm -hmm. over overcoming addiction to the status quo. And it's about my experience and mental health and opportunities for people to start 
on that path of overcoming their own addiction to the status quo, because it's one of the, and I don't use addiction flippantly. I genuinely believe that people will do things to their own detriment or the detriment of others to keep up with appearances or to keep up with what they think that society expects of them. It's this thing, but you know, it happens in any, many companies, you get into this, this role, into this idea that this is the course we're all on and we're we're, we're doing it for the greater good or for what have you. I mean, I mean, we're not into the greater good. We're doing it to make money or, and everyone gets hooked into it. So it's, and it's very, very, um, persuasive. It's very, uh, seductive. It kind of sucks you in. Yes. I've seen so many people and you're right. It's, it's so many fields. It's, I talk about zero sum professions, my book. So doctors, lawyers, nurses, corporate executives, and even elite athletes, very much that drastic. If you're not winning, you're losing. Um, but it happens to everybody at different levels. I was in a, in, in corporate, I mean, we're talking a few years ago now, cause I left like 20 years ago, but uh, I was in the marketing department and we had a, a yearly catalog that came out twice a year. Now we always said we would plan to have the catalog happen. It was always burning the midnight oil. I was always ended up having to do <laughs> long yeah. nights, proofreading stuff that someone else hadn't completed yep. because we never knew a boundary. We never, we never learned to say, no, this is where we'll draw the line and we'll take it easy. We'll do it. But finishing at five o'clock is for wimps, isn't it? Right. Right. Of course it is. Of course. You're not, you're not willing to work hard enough. You're not willing to put in the extra effort or go the extra mile. And especially I think older generations think that about millennials where millennials aren't as motivated by money and they say, okay, I may make less money, but I have more time. And that concept just blows people's minds because they're starting to set healthy boundaries that nobody has set in prior, you know, generations up until this point. I mean, Gary Vanacek was the one always about hustle, hustle, hustle. And I don't know if he's still doing it. He seems, he seems to have eased back off that one. He was getting a bad name for it, I think. Right. But I think the hustle culture is really dangerous. It is. Absolutely is. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with being passionate and, and taking chances and, uh, you know, not being afraid of failure. But there's like everything. There's a happy medium. There absolutely is. Because at the end of the day, the saddest thing that can happen is you get to the end of your life, whatever that is, literally could be tomorrow for any of us and say, wow, I really wish I'd done things differently. Mm. And by then it's too late. What came to me and has, I mean, has come to me over the last few years since I've been doing this midlife work with, with people and with, on myself is the recognition that I am not my job. It's hard. I am it's not my so job. I, and, and, it's like, and it really is. It's like this life is for me. It's, it's your life to live, not your life to work. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think that's why. So that's why I focus on those zero sum professions. I think in those, it manifests the addiction to the status quo manifests more drastically and more quickly. Mm. So typically, you know, people who are going to be doctors or lawyers or elite athletes kind of start on that path earlier, right? Um, especially elite athletes, right? I mean, they're training for years before they even get anywhere close to pros. And so everything's more of, of an extreme at an earlier point. And their value of who they are as a human being is tied to what they do. And even for me, being open to the idea of shifting to speaking and writing and coaching attorneys as a happiness lawyer, as opposed to keeping my practice a traditional personal injury practice after the end of next year, I, I was afraid I was like less of a lawyer. Mm. Or what would happen, right? It's not like I'm less of a lawyer. I'm just shifting what I want my life to be. Um, 
but it's scary when you put so much time and effort and energy into doing one thing and building up your identity of yourself. And when you tie it only to what you've done, it's extremely hard to walk away from it. It's funny because um, you mentioned athletes and I, and I, and I accept, I think that I don't think there's any choice in terms of athletes. Yeah. I don't think they have any choice, but yeah. to, but I think it's like they have to do it for their career and they have to have a, an end point on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think it's all the more prevalent today when we see like Simone Biles and um, some of the other athletes have spoken out about mental health and starting to actually recognize the impact that that has on them. I thought she was amazing. I thought she was amazing when she stepped out and said, I can't do this. Absolutely. And, and it's like, I'm not saying she should just do it because and she, like, so she dies. So what? I mean, right. no, she could actually <laughs> kill herself in the process. Right. Right. And it's just it, we're all human. We're all having a human experience. It doesn't mean that you're somehow invincible because you're an athlete or a corporate executive or a lawyer or a doctor. Um, and it's just sad to me that people value themselves by what they do. Um, yeah, it's just, I think life has changed a bit because, and I think maybe people are healthier because when, when I was in, when I first went into business in my twenties or into, into corporate in my twenties, you know, it was regular to hear people in their 40s or, uh, or late 50s dying on the job somewhere, dying of a heart attack or yeah. dying, at, dying at the office. You don't hear that so often as you used to. No, I don't think so. Um, I do think <clears throat> that people, even over the time that I've kind of been aware of it, have opened up a lot more mm. to the idea of balance and wellness. But I still think it's something that a lot of people give lip service to. But Japan has a word for it. Oh, is there? Yeah, in, in, there's a word for it for dying in service called Kuroshi. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. And it and it's a great honor. Yeah. <laughs> as yeah. only it would as only it would be in that country, right? It's yeah. It's just we know again. We know what we need to do for ourselves, and we should do. Yeah. But we don't do it. Yeah, we yeah. are so petrified <clears throat> of what if or what is somebody going to think of us or what am I going to think of myself as a failure that I. Mm. I I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to step out of my comfort zone. This is a fascinating story. So let's let's explore the passion in you because obviously you were passionate about being a lawyer. You were kind of you were driven from the age of 14 to be a lawyer. Yes. Um, and you and you clearly had some warning signs then about about your pillar because you said you said you had some you had some issues then at times of focus or or, yep. or the potential. So the, you took this with you on the journey. Clearly, I did. Yes. <laughs> um, were you, how did that affect your passion for the industry, for being a lawyer? Were you always passionate about it? Going I was forward? always passionate about helping people. Helping people, It, yeah. it sounds, uh, you know, trite, but it's true. I, yeah, I yeah, yeah. genuinely well, wanted to help World peace, people. I know, world peace. <laughs> it wasn't going to be perfect. It wasn't going to be everybody, but to the extent that I could make a difference for one I know, person, I know, I know. that's what mattered to me. And that's, um, you know, that's why I've stayed in personal injury. And my, you know, I've had family say, well, what about doing, you know, another area of law, not that I couldn't help people, but I'm just not as passionate about it. Are you, are you still in the law? Are you still, still trying? I am actually, I still have a full caseload. Um, <laughs> but my goal is to have that, that wind down by October of next year mm -hmm. and do what's called motion practice, which is just basically writing and filing with the courts for other lawyers. So I still have that lawyer aspect that I'm doing the law, but really, you know, pivot and start doing them more so how, so how do you find work without ambulance chasing sorry i'm just curious <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't see i don't see you as chasing an ambulance personally no no i don't <laughs> and you know honestly that's that's part of it in a sense i'm i'm somebody who i'm not going to cut corners i'm not going to sacrifice my integrity or the quality of representation yeah. for my clients just to compete with all the other lawyers who are 
And it's hard to be successful in a system where people are willing to, you know, play dirty. Like, how do you beat people that are cheating at the system? Mm. Um, And I'm just not willing to do that. And I would rather walk away from something um, than get on that path and be miserable or feel like I'm having to compromise who I am. Mm. Well, so uh, obviously the passion going forward, what, what do you, where do you plan to push it? Cause you say you want to, you want to change what you're doing. Obviously you've been pushed. You, what is driving you to go in that direction? Yeah, I think most notably going through what I went, obviously what I went through has given me the experience to do it. But also when I've spoken about wellness um, and written on it to lawyers, business owners, entrepreneurs, whatever, um, there's a lot of positive feedback, obviously, but with lawyers in particular, it's, if it was as easy as just listening to what I have to say and saying, oh, I'm going to be happy. Everybody would have done it. Right. But actually knowing how to do that is the problem. And it took me a long time to figure that out. I thought if I checked off all these boxes, I'd be happy. Turns out that's not the case. Um, it's not a static existence of being happy. Um, it's a process and it, you know, ebb and flows, but helping people figure out what makes them happy. And then, you know, setting that into motion and for lawyers in particular, as much as it's gotten better, especially in the profession and society as a whole with mental health, I think there's still a stigma attached to reaching out, asking for help, admitting that they're not happy um, and doing something about it. So I'm not a therapist, uh, but I want to try to bridge that gap between people not doing anything at all and having to go into a professional psychiatrist, therapist office to work on certain things and instead be a coach to lawyers and help them through that process of discovery. I mean, for anyone listening, and I, and I say this every time, you know, it's, it's easy to be happy, but you got to do the work. You do have to do the work. And that's it's the thing not, I... cause it's not something that just comes to you. It's like, anything no. else. You, <laughs> no. you know, in order to be happy, you've got to be prepared to be happy. And that's the biggest thing, especially once you understand it takes work, but then if you don't know where to start, that's huge. I mean, you just feel lost and like you're floundering. Mm. Like, why am I not happy? Right. I thought that for a long time, upper middle-class white woman, I've had all the opportunities in the world provided to me, thankfully by my family. Why was I not happy? And when you realize that it doesn't come from outside of you, it comes from inside of you. That's the biggest hurdle that you have to overcome is accepting you have a problem, recognizing that you want to change it. And then from there, everything is still work, but it's at least downhill work, I think, in the long run. It's about good boundaries and it's about looking after yourself. and So we'll come to all that in a moment. So how do you define success for yourself now? I define success as happiness and mm. happiness is living the best version of yourself, you, me, whoever. <laughs> it's going to be different for everybody, mm. but whatever that version is, that's the best version. That's what happiness is at the end of the day. And then happiness is success. Contribution? What do you, how do you see contribution? In terms of? Well, I mean, you can contribute to the world. Let's go with that one first. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I wish I could do a lot of things on a global scale, but the reality is I can do what I, what I can for my corner of the world. Yeah. So if I can help lawyers collectively or just as a profession recognize that there's more <laughs> to life than being a lawyer, Mm. I feel like I will have succeeded. Mm. How do you contribute to yourself? 
I'm always, I'm trying, yeah, right. Uh, I'm always learning. I, I ran ten hills this morning. Is how I could. Do right, right, right. <laughs> I took a vacation for a week and didn't oh, check well my done. email. Well so done. now I've got you know literally hundreds of emails to get through. Um, but no, I, I I make time for myself. I would not be able to do what I do if I didn't set mm. boundaries like that. I have to have my downtime. I'm an introvert at heart. And so having time to contemplate and just be on my own is what, what matters to me a lot. Mm. So do you have a, a, a daily routine that you do or something that you do to, to, to keep yourself in check? Yeah, typically um, in the evenings, I'll, I'll spend time with my you know husband and animals. <clears throat> I don't have any children uh, by choice, but spend some time, but then also set aside time for myself, whether it's to read whether it's just to watch a show, but have that individual time by myself. I'm an only hmm. child too. So I think that's part of it, but it really just gives me clarity and allows me to center myself. And sometimes I'll meditate. Um, I need, I want to be better about meditating um, more consciously, but I definitely tap into the resources that I, I have to do things like that for myself. Hmm. Yeah. Anything you can do that, that puts you in touch with yourself is, is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. You have to be very purposeful about it. And I always recommend people block time out, just like you block out time for meetings or anything else, blocking out time for yourself is, and, and sticking to it. And yeah, absolutely. And not recognizing it as something you can dump for some other right? reason. You actually right. have to block it out for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's people always say, well, I must have time. I want to be more efficient with my time. It's like, okay, great. We'll get you more time, but you can't just fill it up with more work. You have to fill it with meaningful things or else it's just not going to be matter you know, mm. that you save more time to do more work mm-hmm. so what's the one question you like people to ask of themselves or ask of you I want people to ask if if they're happy mm. and to Good be question. honest to be honest with themselves because it's scary it's scary um, to admit to yourself that you're not happy and what you're doing for the, all these years, or even just right at this moment is not fulfilling to you. Um, I think it adds so much uncertainty and um, loneliness and uh, lack of purpose, which I think drives and motivates humanity, right? Having a purpose, whatever that is. So acknowledging that you're not happy doing what you're doing is, is the question that I want people to ask. Are you happy? And if not, then let's, let's work on it. Let's figure out what it is. And I'm not advocating people leave the legal profession or anybody else leave the profession that they're in necessarily, but figuring out what, if that is the best fit or if there's another fit. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Interesting. So what is it that you do? I mean, obviously you, you work for lawyers, what is it mm-hmm. that you what is it you want to get out of this podcast and I know you've got a book to talk about so what is it what is it that you do for people and how could people get in touch with you that sort of thing? absolutely so I speak and write about wellness <clears throat> female entrepreneurship um you know the status quo work-life balance you know anything wellness related in terms of business and uh in that regard I focus for coaching on the lawyers um just because obviously that's what I know so well as the happiness lawyer Um, And then with the podcast, just letting people know that I have these resources, I have this knowledge, I have these skill sets that I can provide to people. Mm. And with the book, Overcoming Addiction to the Status Quo, yes, it's my experience as a lawyer, but really anybody can take it and say, okay, anybody can, right, 
right? This is what I want to do. I want to improve on my life. Um, here's, here's a few steps on how I can start doing that. Do you have any, what, what are the first steps that someone could do? Would you say, what would, what would the first thing they could do if they recognize they've got a problem? Where do they start? Yeah, a number of things. You can start with self-compassion, which uh, these sound so simple, right? But there's so much that goes into them. Recognizing your values, uh, what your values are now versus what you want your values to be. That's one of the first things I do with um, clients that I'm coaching. So I have them determine their values right now and I have them determine where they want to be. And hopefully they line up. If not, okay, what do we need to do to get there? Because to me, if you've never had to live in a, in a way that is purposeful and with intent and uh, with an eye towards happiness, how can you possibly expect somebody to just magically start doing that? Right. Again, if it was that easy, we all would have done it. So I tell my clients to think of themselves as like little human startups. Okay. So for companies, if they do it the right way, using mission, vision, and values can be hugely beneficial. Mm. So I have clients do that and starting with their values. And then from there, we, you know, come up with their mission and then, you know, do that for the vision. So it gives them guidelines to work between. So when they start making decisions, okay, am I going to go to that extra networking event? Does that match with my values? Is my value spending more time with my family or, you know, friendship or whatever that may be, or is it making a ton of money? Hopefully the answer is more altruistic and focused on self-care, building relationships with people they care about. So that's what I, I really like to focus on doing for them. Um, and that's a great place to start, but figuring out your values and mm. trying to live your life and make decisions based on that makes work, it a lot easier. Value work is very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it makes well, it, it doesn't seem so haphazard if you do it that way. It what I think is easy. fascinating is, is when you see someone become disillusioned with a company. Yeah. It's normally because the values are no longer congruent with their own. Yep. And they don't realize it. There's something shifted in the organization and they kind of put the, can't put their finger on what it is. And you think so, yep. oh, that'll be because the organization's done something you don't agree with. <clears throat> exactly. And that's the thing. A lot of companies do give it lip service and they say, oh, we checked off a box because HR told us to, whatever, whatever, consultant told us to. Um, but then they don't run a, the business that way. Mm. Well, good, Google used to have do no evil in their, in their manifesto and they took it out. Right. I, right. And I can't believe they took that out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like you think that's the baseline, right? You can't, like, <laughs> I think that would be the baseline. Why, why would you take that out? I'd have been quite mm -hmm. proud of that actually in, in our in our thing, really. And it's like, okay, so what are you doing that you're not happy with? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 So okay, how would people get in touch with if they want to? Sure. Uh, you can go to Linktree. Uh, it's KF Burmeister. Mm -hmm. And that's has links to all my social media, it has links to my website. I've linked to my no, most uh, recent interviews or writings. So that's the place, place to go and reach out to me individually. I love to hear from people. What, what is your website? I think we're going to look for that. Sure. CatherineFBurmeister.com or TheHappinessLawyer.com you can go to. Fantastic. Well, all those links will be available at LifePassionAndBusiness.com. So do check out Catherine because she's fascinating. So last question. This is the big one. Okay. What's the meaning of life? Uh <laughs> be happy to be happy mm -hmm. I mean genuinely I am um, you know I went through a really tough time when I when I was at that firm had my <clears> dream <throat> job and I wasn't happy after checking off all my boxes and I sort of had an existential crisis like mm. what's the point what's mm. the point of anything <laughs> um I'm not a very religious person I'm more spiritual but still like what's what's the point if what I'm doing only helps one person on a global scale how does it matter and I realized 
just focusing on doing what I could for myself, not in a selfish way, but in a way that, um, brings purpose, which Mm. is happiness to me in the end. That's, that's what matters. And that's the meaning of life to me. Hmm. And as long as, I mean, there's no right answer to this question. The only right answer is this question is that you need to have one. Yeah. You need you need to know what it is so that you're so you're doing doing it for yourself. Uh, you know, and, and I and I find the meaning for me slips all over the place. I you know, I and I think the most telling thing I was said on a podcast, the meaning that there's absolutely no meaning to life whatsoever other than the meaning you choose to give it. Yeah. And that can change on a daily basis. You can change, you can change your meaning, your perspective. So it, it and you know it is linked up to values and all sorts of things. So it, it is interesting. But I mean, the part of the premise of this podcast is if you've got answers to these five questions, you're probably doing all right. Right, right, absolutely. You know, it's when and, you when you can't identify what success is for you in any particular day, you come home and what do I actually achieve today? <sighs> right, nothing. Now that doesn't feel great, does it? Really? <laughs> no, no, not at all. And. I mean, the reason I say, you know, happiness or it's comes Mm. from within is you can help other people in the world all day long and that be your passion. But the meaning of life is I still think fulfilling your own existence as a human being. And Mm. for me, for the person who wants to help other people, that's fulfilling their existence. It's still coming from within at the end of the day. And um, so there's no wrong answers. I, I agree. But I think success shouldn't be measured by money. I don't think happiness should be measured by money. Um, money can let you do a lot of things and make a lot of things easier. But at the end of the day, money in, its, in of itself, I would argue, does not make people happy. What you can do with money um, after meeting your basic needs, because I understand speaking from a place of privilege, it, that what you can do with it matters. And you can do either really good or really bad with it. Indeed. Catherine Burmeister, thank you so much for being on the program today. It's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Paul. All the best. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Catherine Burmeister. If you would like to connect with Catherine, you can find her on LinkedIn at KF Burmeister, on Instagram, KF Burmeister. You can also find her website, KatherineFBurmeister.com. And she's also on Facebook, Burmeister.Catherine. There is also the book, which is available on Amazon, Overcoming Addiction to the Status Quo. All of those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. Hopefully you have been following this podcast for a while and have explored the five questions for yourself. But if not, what's stopping you? You know, after hundreds of interviews, I can say with a hand on my heart that having answers to the questions about our passion a picture of success, an awareness of contribution, thoughts around the one question and a sense of what it all means. That is the path to a good life. Now look, you don't need me to tell you that our world is changing faster than at any other time, certainly any time that I can remember. And we must be sure to know who we are and what we want out of this journey because we will not get it unless we choose it. So please give it some thought because, you know, your future depends on it. And if you'd like some help with that process, do check out the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com where you will find the five questions, ebook and worksheets. Now, this stuff is packed with exercises to help you on the journey towards self-discovery. And it's at the amazing price of just $12.99. So do check that out at the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com. 
Now, finally, has this podcast been useful to you? If so, please consider giving us a five-star review on the app of your choosing and, of course, sharing it with a friend because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts. And that's it from me until Sunday. As always, thank you so much for being here with me on this journey. I so appreciate your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best.